Good afternoon. This is Richard Shu, host of Shu Untie. Today, I'm very pleased and honored to have as my guest Sally Yu, who's the general counsel at Uber. Sally, welcome to the show. Thank you, Richard. So, Sally, why don't you start by telling me a little bit about um, what you do at Uber and how you got this position? Sure. So, I am the general counsel of Uber, as you mentioned.、Um, I've been at Uber for about four and a half years, and I joined the company when it was a hundred people. Wow. About a hundred people. <laughs> <laughs> And we're, I think we've we've crested the ten thousand mark. Wow! So it, it's been a, it's been a period of tremendous growth. So I am responsible for legal and regulatory. So anything that touches on、um, the legal function, anything that touches on regulatory, meaning our relationship with regulators, our、um, efforts to get new regulations passed, that's something that my team works on.、Mm. I'm sure there's no shortage of things to do. I am not bored. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. <laughs> well, tell me a little bit how you got this position. Yeah. So my path to general counsel was rather circuitous. When I when people ask me, "Hey, how do I go in house?" I say to them, "I have no idea," because <laughs> this was I'm not one of those people who had a clearly plotted and executed path to in house. So here's my story. I was at Davis Wright Tremaine for 13 years before I joined Uber. I had full intention to to make partner there and to stay there the rest of my career. My commitment to being in the firm was、uh, was grounded in principles of I really like the practice of law.、Mm-hmm. I am one of those law nerds that actually, when I sit down and do CLE, I actually kind of enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> wow! <laughs> I know, so boring, but so true.、Um, and so I like the practice of law. I like the I like the law firm. It was a good place for me to be. But I was really interested in. The statistics around minority women and their path to partnership,、mm. and the fact that it was really a a hard path, particularly for Asian American women, to kind of crack that that ceiling.、Um, so I was committed to staying, and fortunately, I had been given indications that I could make partner. I stuck it out, made partner, and then you know what they say: <laughs> you, you you cross that hill, and you're kind of like. <laughs> You know, there's no there there. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, honestly, you what you do is with every challenge you meet,、um, you get there and you realize there's another challenge in front of me. So、mm-hmm. I made junior partner or non-equity partner, and so there was another step, and I was learning the ropes on how to become a partner, how to grow your book of business, how to、um, be a true partner to my clients. And then I had one of those weekends that was a classic、um, case study in work-life balance.、Hmm. So、um, I got a call at four o'clock, and I kid you not, it was four o'clock of, with a new client who wanted to close a deal, could not get a party to consent, wanted me to file a complaint on Monday, asking the court to order this party to consent.、Hmm. I also on a on in my personal life. Um, I had recently gotten remarried, and my and I have two stepsons, and it was their birthday that birthdays that weekend,、wow. and so we were having a joint birthday party, a family birthday party for them. 
And then my two associates that I, that I work with, one had gone down to San Diego to be with a family member who was having a medical issue, and the other one was on her way back from India. Wow. So all of those things, all of those forces came together, and I made it through the weekend. And then on Tuesday, I had a pre-scheduled lunch with Jay, Lee, Jay Kim, I'm sorry, Jay Kim of Major Lindsay in Africa. And um, she said to me during the lunch, would you ever go in-house? Hmm. And I think it was, when I think about it, I think it was a little bit of, I was, I was primed to, mm-hmm. to, for this question. Mm-hmm. And it was the universe kind of saying, hey, take a look. Mm-hmm. So um, I said, Jay and I have been friends for a long time. And based on kind of the, the work-life challenges of that weekend, I said to her, perhaps for the right opportunity. Mm. Jay being Jay and very good at what she does. She immediately pulled a listing out of her purse and put it <laughs> under my nose. <laughs> and me being raised um, in a Asian American family that highly values cooperation, I looked. At, I looked at it, and it was a listing for Uber. Mm-hmm. And had you even heard of the company at that point? No. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> um, so was that a scary decision? Was it a difficult decision? I mean, even though you were inclined to look at in-house, but you know, you'd obviously spent a lot of time working towards becoming a law firm partner. Did it seem like a scary decision? So looking back, it was, it was a pretty hard pivot in my career. And the first thing I decided to do is when I looked at the listing, it described me. So they were looking for a law firm partner, 15 years of experience, litigation, and regulatory. Mm. And that was me. Mm-hmm. So that piqued my interest. I went online. I researched the company. I started reading um, about Travis and Uber and getting an understanding not only of the technology but of of you know what these guys were all about. Mm-hmm. And then I signed up and I tried the app and I tested it around San Francisco and I fell in love with it. Hmm. So I had that product love which mm-hmm. which is kind of what drew, drew me into the company. And then I generally counsel my mentees don't edit yourself out. And what that means is if you're going for a job, don't sit there saying you know, I don't know if I want this or what not, what not. Wait until it's actually offered to you. Mm-hmm. Then you can make a decision. Mm-hmm. And until you get there, if it's truly something that's worth your time, do your best to get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's the attitude that I took. I did hours of research. Um, I've talked to, I've talked about this publicly, but my husband and I actually sat on the couch the night before the, the first interview and soundboarded mm-hmm. questions and answers. Mm-hmm. You know, I prepared for it as I as if I would prepare for any meeting with a client, a tri- you know, a trial motion or whatnot. And I went in there kind of with an open mind and to see what this was all about. Mm-hmm. And I stayed in the process. And, you know, fortunately, I was, um, you know, I was made an offer. Right. And then I got to that point where I had to make that decision point. And then I think it was at that point that we really sat down. And I say we because, as you know, it's a, it's a family decision. Right. You have to make the right choice for your family. And we sat down, and one of the questions that I I kind of tossed around and where I landed was, it's really important how you frame the question to yourself when you reach these junctures hmm. in your career. Hmm. 
And I could have looked at it from, I've worked my entire career to become a partner at a law firm. I still had a really long path to go to be a truly successful partner. Mm -hmm. There was a lot to learn and there was a lot to um, experience and, um, and master, frankly. And, but there's a little bit of security that comes from being a partner, as you know, right? Like there's, you know, you have a bit more security um, in your job and there's a little bit of recognition from your family that, you know, perhaps their investment in you was worthwhile, whatnot. And, um, and it's a life that I knew. And as I said earlier, I am kind of a law nerd. So Mm -hmm. I actually like the practice of law. Mm -hmm. So all those things would weigh in favor of me staying in. But my husband and I started talking about it, and I was, at the time, I was 42. And I remember thinking that, look, there's no guarantee. When you're 40, you realize there's no guarantee that you're going to get second chances at things. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I thought about is actually the right question to myself is, when is the next time that I'll be offered an opportunity to be GC of a tech company? Mm Mm-hmm. And when I got to that point where I decided that was the right question, the answer was pretty clear. Mm-hmm. Never. <laughs> so, so just jump. <laughs> so tell me a little bit. I mean, obviously, um, you probably didn't expect Uber to be as wildly <laughs> successful as it is. But tell me a little bit about, you know, what are some of the biggest differences in terms of your expectations on how the job ended up being or how this path ended up being versus what you thought when you went in? Yeah. So one, the growth trajectory was much faster, much steeper than I expected. And what I mean by that is the company grew much faster than I anticipated. When I tested the product, I fell in love with it. I knew that there was going to be a place for this app in people's lives. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know at the time that we were going to go international Mm -hmm. and that within four years, we would be in 400 plus cities and over 70 countries. And there's a complexity, as you know, to doing business in so many countries Mm -hmm. and scaling so fast. So one of the things that surprised me was just the sheer rate of growth. Um, from a legal team perspective, I did a org chart when I came to Uber. I did a three-year org chart, and I thought I was dreaming big, and I kind of blew through that (laughs) (laughs) in the first year. And I I keep it as a reminder to myself that I need to dream bigger Hmm. because my org, I came in as the first lawyer, and my org today is above 220. Wow. And that's pretty fast growth. Yeah, it's pretty fast growth. Um, so I think there's been a lot of learnings on management, on the management side, how to build a team, how to keep a team aligned and focus while the ground is constantly shifting underneath them. Hmm. I also learned a lot about how to really think about and solve the problems of my client. And I think it's a, it's an, it's a lesson that I was learning as an outside counsel, but with an outside counsel, I was still thinking about it in the filter of legal problems. Mm. And one of the things that I say to my team here, especially when they first start, is remember we are not here to solve legal problems. We're here to solve business problems. Mm. The law is our tool, and it's the specialty tool that we have. But what I learned very quickly is the problems are all business problems. So... 
Now, do you find that, um, as it turns out, that you you think that in house actually suits you better than being a law firm? You talked a little about how you you know you like the law, you yeah. kind of characterize yourself as a law nerd. But do you actually find that you that the in house role is actually a better suit for you than than you thought, or better than being a law firm? So I love being in house. It's it's a ton of, it's really fun. It's really fun because you get to engage in problem solving. You get visibility. You get the broad view. You get the, the forward view that you don't get as outside counsel necessarily. So it's been an incredibly fun experience. I used to say in the early years of being at Uber, I, I, I would say to my husband, you know, at some point, I'm going to want to step off this train, and I may go back to the law firm if mm-hmm. a firm will have me. I've been saying that less and less, <laughs> so we'll see where we land. Well, is there anything you miss about being in a law firm? I miss the opportunity to have four hours to think through an issue. Mm. Um, and I'm not the best person to talk about the typical in-house experience because, one, I've only had one, and it's been a rather unusual company to be at. But I never, I can get, I can stitch through to, I can stitch four hours together, but I cannot carve it out, have it be sacrosanct Mm -hmm. and have that long block of time to really go deep. Mm. So I got to get help from others. Mm. You know, I need the shortcuts of outside counsel and my team to help me think about it and then let me percolate Mm. on, on a solution. So in terms of personal growth that you've had to learn in this job, what would you kind of say that, you know, what are some of the things that, you know, you've really had to learn and grow in terms of, you know, how you've handled this job or how you've grown with the team, would you say? So I think I've grown, um, I've had to grow in a lot of ways. Um, one is managing a team of, t- of 200 plus internationally is, it's, you know, there's a learning curve associated with that. So I've learned a lot about how to take feedback and provide to my team the direction and the support that they need. For example, we do a performance review process that is a 360 process and what we have, what we call T3B3. So we tell each other as part of review, here here are the things that you're doing well and here are the things that you need to work on. And I realized that when I read my T3, but especially my B3, my teams are actually telling me what they need from me. So sometimes, you know, there's a theme that says, you know, you need to communicate more. We need to know more what's in your head and where you want to go. And if I see that popping across um, multiple reviews, then I know that's definitely something that I need to work on. But there are also um, comments that people put in there, and they're either things that I think I'm actually doing okay or things that aren't truly important to me. And I thought, you know, why is it that this is showing up in this person's review? And I realized, no, that person's signaling to me that's what they need from me. Mm. You know, they need me to say good job. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I think I'm saying good job a lot, but what they're telling me is they need a little bit more. That's what helps them get to that optimal level of performance. So it's really around managing teams. Mm. I think that um, where my greatest growth has been. Mm. Now, you mentioned earlier that, you know, you've obviously been a very strong proponent of the importance of law diverse, diversity in the legal mm-hmm. marketplace with women, uh, Asian Americans, so forth. How have you used kind of your current position to try to help promote and still help, you know, enhance diversity in the legal profession? Yeah, so we're doing a couple of things. One, I am diversity and particularly the advancement of women is an issue I've cared about for a very, very long time. And we have a value here at Uber that says best ideas win. 
And I believe that the best ideas only emerge when we have a diversity of voices in the room mm -hmm. and everyone feels empowered to speak up. So in order to do that, what I generally find is that nobody wants to not be diverse. I know that that's like a <laughs> double <laughs> negative. But what I mean is that everybody wants to have the best ideas, want to have the fullness of opinions in the room. Um, but the way to get there is through intention. So what, what that means is I do a couple of things. One is around pay. And I've talked about this a little bit in other forums. When, a, um, when comp requests come to me for new hires, I look to see how they compare against other um, offers that have been made for the same level, for the same you know, level of experience. So say, for example, if I have a director one coming in and she has 10 years of experience and was in AGC at another company, I'm going to go across my org and, and just kind of calibrate that against another director one that may have 10 years of experience and is also an AG, you know, was also an AGC at another company. So I think it's a little bit of that sanity check mm -hmm. to make sure that, again, we're being intentional about, um, about pay. And then the second thing is to communicate about its importance, both up to the management and also to your team. So when I meet with my management team, my direct reports, I, I, I talk to them about their team composition. I look at how they're doing and I will ask them, are you being intentional? Like I am not telling you who to hire. I want you to hire the best person, but you can't do there. You can't get there unless you are being intentional about the pool. Hmm. Are you making sure that recruiting is sh sending you the most diverse pool? Are you calling out? Are you actually, actually going down your Rolodex and calling people that you know actually would be good for this role? Hmm. So again, bringing that intention, intentionality to hiring is really important. And then I think the other thing that I, I put on law firms, but also um, on... So I, I put something on law firms and then I put something on my fellow in-house counsel. On law firms, you know, what I say to them is you don't... It, success to me looks like super strong partners, regardless of race or gender. Mm -hmm. And you don't get there by setting quotas or whatever. You get there by actually mentoring them, teaching them how to talk to clients, taking them to meetings, you know, like teaching them the soft skills about being a very good partner. Um, and then for my fellow in-house counsel, I say to them, if you are not being intentional about who you call when you have a new matter, you're, you're not solving the problem. Hmm. You can be a champion for diversity and, you know, pound the table and all of that. But when you have a new matter and you're not being intentional about who you call at that firm, it shows a fundamental lack of understanding as to how credit is allocated within firms. Right. And you need to be, we need to be intentional about that. Mm -hmm. And if we truly want diverse partners who have a book of business and can grow their practice, we actually have to get them that first call mm -hmm. so that they can run the conflicts check and they can claim you as a client. So um, I think it's, it's a long-term solution to a you know, long-term problem. But those are some of the things that I'm interested in trying to do. Hmm. Do you feel like you're able to influence that more as a general counsel of a company than when you were at the law firm? Or Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. we're the client. Yeah. So I think that we have a little client platform that we can use. And so I'm trying to teach um, my team to do that. What I find is that if you 
didn't, if you came in-house too soon, you may not know this intuitively. If you come in after you're a partner, you certainly understand this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're a little bit more fluent in understanding how a law firm works and how you can cultivate um, partners that are truly going to be great relationship partners. Now, you mentioned earlier that one of the reasons that you looked at the in-house job was work-life balance. Are you actually able to achieve that? I mean, with 220 no. lawyers <laughs> and this massive growth, I'm wondering whether you even got what you thought you were going to get by, by coming here. No. Um, so we're pretty transparent at Uber that at this stage in the company's maturation, you work harder at Uber than you you work almost anywhere else. And I tell people, I work harder here at Uber than I did at the law firm. And I'm talking about the two years before I made partner. (laughs) So you learn, the good thing about aging and, and, you know, hopefully you agree with me is that you learn to balance better. Um, My friend, Mary O. Huber said this once, and I totally agree. Um, Somebody asked this question of her and she said, you know, I don't, she says, I don't think of it as two separate lives. I think of it as one life. And that's the way I think about it. I don't have a hard rule that says after six o'clock, I don't do meetings. Mm. I'll do meetings if I need to. Mm. You know, sometimes my team in Australia needs to talk to me at 10 p.m. I'm on. But I try to edit my life so that um, so that I have pockets of time for my family. Mm. And um, that as much of it can be handled without my direct involvement. Um, if it needs to, but really it's, you know, it's unrealistic to think, and this is certainly not a place where I can go home at six and, <laughs> and not check email. <laughs> no, I'm sure. So I'm sure you're not thinking about this now, but let me ask you, obviously you've been a law firm partner. You've now done in-house, you've been in a startup. It's been a great growth. Could you see yourself doing anything else in the future? Is there anything else that you think now that you've done sort of the major two things that most lawyers do? Could you see yourself doing anything else at some point in the future? You know, I think one thing that I've learned from this experience is to not edit myself out of things. And so that's a, I guess another way of saying that is I have learned to open my eyes to opportunities and particularly opportunities for growth. And um, I tell my team, and sometimes I regret it <laughs> because some of, some of them leave, but I say, you know, it's, it's on me to make sure that Uber continues to be an interesting place for you to develop your career. I do not expect that you will spend the rest of your career here, nor is that good for you. I expect that you will go and seek other opportunities to grow. And um, I try to live by those same principles, um, but it's hard to think about the future when the present is so all-consuming. Mm-hmm. Well, Sally, I really appreciate your taking time out of your super busy schedule to speak with me. If you do decide to do anything else, you'll have to come back and tell me about it. Sure. Thanks, Richard. This is Richard Shu and Sally Yu. Thanks.